Hello and welcome to this episode of our York and in Stigma Let's Talk Mental Health podcast. So here at York and in Stigma, we're all people with our own personal experiences of mental ill health, mental illness, poor mental health, however we want to describe it to suit us. And today we're going to be talking all things mental health and parenting from our personal perspectives. So today I'm joined by three of our volunteer champions, all with their experiences of mental ill health. So today I'm here with Emma. Hi. Vicky. Hello. And Miles. Hi there. So welcome everybody. So we'll start off in the, in the usual way, um, just introducing ourselves with a bit of a background and how it relates to today's subject, which is obviously parenting, being a parent. Um, so for me, I don't have any children. Um, so I'm not a parent. <laughs> um, I have um, struggled with mental health um, from, for a very a long time from childhood. And I think for me, it's quite possibly one of the reasons why I'm not a parent. Um, I don't know if I'd cope, to be perfectly honest. I live with long-term enduring mental ill health. Um, so for me, um, today is all about our guests who are parents. So um, I'll keep it short and sweet from me. Um, Emma, would you like to say a little bit about yourself and your, your background, your mental health and being a parent? Yeah, um, so I'm a single parent. Um, I've got a daughter and she's six. Um, I've struggled with my mental health since I was a child, really. Um, and then um, had my daughter when I was 25, I think it was. Um and I was with with a really unsupportive partner at the time. Um, he didn't get mental health at all, wasn't very sympathetic, um, and just didn't. I was doing everything on my own basically. Um, so we ended up splitting up. Um, and then sort of I ended up having a, a breakdown. Um, my daughter was away. From well, I see her um now and then, and I was away from her for a little bit while I got well, um which absolutely killed me um but I got through it and focused on on my recovery and getting myself um to a point where I was strong enough to be there emotionally for her um She came back when she was about four, three or four, and it was half and half between us both, um, and she's now with me full time, um, and I'm so, so grateful to have her with me full time, that's what I wished for when um, I couldn't see her, and it broke my heart, um, but it comes with its struggles as well, as I struggle with my mental health, um, and being a single parent, um it's terrifying because you think if you are struggling and you go to your GP, will they contact social services? Will they get people involved? Um, and so saying, if you ever said, oh, I've got suicidal thoughts, it sends alarm bells ringing. But for me, I would never, ever, ever act on them because um, I, w- I don't want to and I value the relationship I have with my daughter too much to do anything that would jeopardize um social services stepping in and um intervening and taking her away again um so it is hard and it's very isolating um you feel like you can't talk to people and you have to get off get on with it um and days when 
he's really struggling I feel a lot of guilt because I think is she picking up on this I'm a, I'm a bad mum etc etc and you beat yourself up so then sort of that negative self-talk is even worse um yeah Thank you, and thank you for being so honest. I know at your kindness, didn't we? We, we are always open and honest, and that's been a very, very honest and very succinct, uh, thank you, account of sort of how you've got lots of things um, to come back to. Certainly, and I can only relate, and this is nothing compared to, you know, like I said at the start, I don't have any children, but when you said, I didn't really, I didn't even think about it, if you're trying to get support for your own mental health, but in the back of your mind or the front of your mind is, oh my goodness, our social service is going to take my child away. The only thing, and this is not comparable, I worry about losing my job when I'm mentally unwell. I cannot imagine thinking, oh my goodness, I could lose a child. And then, of course, it's that double-edged sword, isn't it? Because we want people to seek help, talk about the mental health, but those the fear of the consequences, and I think as well, something I want to come back um, later on, is about it's so important that we feel that we can't you know if we are having thoughts of suicide we want people to be open we want people to get help and support but sometimes that overreaction I don't think you quite use those words Emma but so for my work like overreaction because you've said you know you don't want to act on the thoughts but you want some kind of support whereas I think you said about like alarm bells and things so I'm really keen that we're here from Vicky and Miles because I've got no idea their experiences could be similar, could be totally different. But Emma, thank you um, very much for sharing what you have shared so far. And Vicky, if we can come to you next, and if you could just give a bit of a background about your experience. Um, yeah, so um, I'm a fairly new parent. My um, daughter is uh, 10 months old. Um, before I had my daughter, I did have. Um, like lived experience of um depression and anxiety um and like uh throughout my pregnancy i i'd struggled a lot with anxiety um i was really anxious about like if my baby's still alive inside me and stuff and um it was um a lot of the time it was really hard to cope with um and i remember telling one of the consultants and they were very quick to say that they wanted to change my medication which wasn't um ideal um because i didn't want to change the antidepressants i was on while i was pregnant because i was worried about the impact on the baby um and then when my daughter was born sort of three weeks after she was born um, I was really struggling with my mental health um, and then I was quickly diagnosed with um, postnatal depression and anxiety um, and also post-traumatic stress disorder as well because I'd had um, her like my w when I gave birth it didn't go to plan um, and it was um, just a very distressing time um, yeah um and uh, similar to emma's experience um like i had a lot of negative self-talk um social services did get involved at one point and i was absolutely terrified that they're going to take away my daughter um even though 
even though the um, perinatal mental health team who were supporting me kept reassuring me and saying they're not going to take away your daughter um, I just found that really hard to believe um, uh, because of the just like the way um, my mind was um, um, yeah and um, I had a lot of um, like intrusive thoughts including like suicidal intrusive thoughts as well um, and then in April last year I was diagnosed with uh, obsessive compulsive disorder um, yeah so um, but I mean I'm still under this like I'm still receiving support from the perinatal mental health team up until my daughter is is one year old and then that comes to an end yeah and Vicky again thank you so much for your honesty and, and sharing it and again very concisely as well because a lot you know a, a lot covered there um I I can't remember if you've mentioned on the podcast but I certainly know um from conversations we've had that your daughter's currently roughly 10 months old so when you say you get support for 12 months after the birth I'd be really interested in coming back to you later on and having that conversation about what effect that has or maybe is or isn't having on your mental health in terms of that well in two months time some support is going to stop I've got no idea if other support kicks in or not so I'd be really keen to come back to that at some point and also about you mentioned um having suicidal thoughts again did you share those with anyone? Did you mention that to a health professional or did you keep that quiet for kind of fears of, of what might happen? Uh, I did mention it to, um, so at, when I first started having them, I had um, um, a lady from an organisation called Early, Early Help. Um, which is part of social services, but it's not like the part where you'd have a social worker involved. Um, oh, okay. And I'd mentioned it to her, and she'd just gone into full panic mode. Um, oh, like she wasn't, she wasn't a mental health professional, so she panicked, and then, um, then, rung me one. Uh, well. She actually rung my husband, which was very strange, to say that um, they're going to get a social worker involved. Um, and of course, for both of us, for both me and my husband, that just it just set alarm bells ringing. And uh, I was I was so frightened. I was absolutely petrified. Um, and then like. Because obviously social services then talk to the perinatal mental health team, um, and the the health the mental health professionals who I see in the perinatal uh, team they um, they just kept reassuring me. They were like, "No one's going to take her away. Um, it has to get to a very serious point when your child would even be considered." been taken away but I just at the time I was just like I no reassurance really could have helped me because I was just like um the I, I just had it in my mind that they were going to take her and whenever the social worker would come round I would literally grip my daughter in my hands so tightly and hold her because I was so yeah. frightened 
I was like, you're not, you're not touching, you're not even touching my yeah. child. I can, well, I can't imagine, but I can certainly, I can understand what you're saying, Vicky, and I can imagine that I, I would be similar. And I think for me, that really highlights the need to, um, I don't know if educate is the right word, but I think this is one of the reasons why we do this podcast is sharing our experiences for people to listen and do with the information what they will. You know, we're not giving advice. We're not telling people what to do. But I think anybody who's listening who is in, you know, early years, child childcare, I've probably got the language totally wrong. But <laughs> anybody who's involved with uh, things like Vicky's just mentioned, I think it's having that awareness and, and not panicking, isn't it? And I think there's a whole separate, and us as York and in Stigma, we do stuff, separate work around suicide prevention. But it all ties in, doesn't it, with these different things. And Vicky, I'm glad you mentioned your husband, because that was a question I was going to ask you, because... Emma has mentioned being um, a single parent, but um, f- from your case, I'm assuming that you live together with your husband and your kind of the, the family unit with your daughter, the three of you. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I live with my husband. Yeah, it's just um, like having a child and going through all the mental health issues that I've had and stuff. It, it's really put a strain on our relationship. Like um and um but yeah we've we are in a much better place now than we were before thank you vicky and i think yeah um i keep saying there's lots of things to come back to but i think the strains on relationship and um, we'll definitely come back to and that kind of support stopping after a defined length of time a, a year you mentioned but before we do that miles obviously we've heard experiences from emma and vicky who are you know, the mum, the mother in this case. Um, Miles, um, you're coming from obviously a dad's perspective. So please could you tell us about your experience and what you'd like to share today? Yeah, thank you, Emma. Yeah, I'm just sat listening to to both Emmy and Vicky. Um, yeah, really powerful messages. Um, so yeah, um, <clears throat> I'm Miles. Um, I'm a dad of two. Uh, my sons now are 20 and uh, well, 17 on Tuesday, actually. Um, my sort of take on things for me is um, I got married in my early 20s. Um, my wife and I um, spent a few years um, building up work, building up, you know, bought the house, all that kind of stuff. And um, we always wanted to have a family. Um, and when we came to the decision to, to sort of, you know, try, um, we came across some hurdles, let's say, and it uh, without going into details it took quite some time for us to to get our our boys um and i've always kind of lived with since my sort of 20s i've always lived with bouts of depression bouts of anxiety and everything but to the outside world i guess we were the you know uh up and coming couple that's probably the wrong way of saying it but um anyway to cut a long story short um we were very fortunate that we, you know, we we had um, my my son first, um, and then the expectations of being a dad. And I'd had quite a fractious childhood myself, so you know, he gave that promise that oh, I'll never let my children go through the kind of episodes that I've had to experience in mine. Um, and um, looking back on it now, um, I beautifully did everything that kind of happened for that for me. Um, and I'm very remorseful about that, but I can't allow that to sort of beat myself up today. What's happened has happened, but but over a period of time, um, 
my mental health, my mental ill health uh, deteriorated to the point where it did become very difficult for me to remain in the family home. Uh, my behaviours, my actions, uh, mainly mental, um, around the relationship with my wife and unknowingly the impact of that on, on my children. Um, there's three years, three years uh, age gap between my two, but uh, I guess in honesty, uh, my youngest really has only ever known a poorly dad. Um, and um, ultimately, as my, my ill health deteriorated, um, I was actually invited, let's call it that, to leave the marital home because my actions and my behaviours, I would actually turn up when I when my my ill health got to the stage where I wasn't able to work, um, I would actually turn up and pick them up from school um, because I thought I was doing my fatherly bit, but I would turn up in some states at school and that was noticed by school um, and ultimately uh, authorities had to kind of come round and have that quiet chat with, with my wife. Um, and that obviously caused tensions, that caused frictions. But as my, my ill health deteriorated, I became kind of isolated from what I was actually doing um, and not really understanding the impact on the children. Um, so six years ago, like I say, uh, myself and, and my wife, um, you know, I left separated. Um, my ill health still continued to deteriorate. Um, but she then took on the full responsibility of having two children to look after. Um, she works full time um, and I can't speak for her, but really the position that my ill health caused her uh, was kind of untold um, because she was became a single mum, for want of a better expression, having to do a full time job, having to actually look after them and actually had a third child in me because I would come round to the house and demand to see the children and all those horrible stereotypes, but the reality for me, you know, I would, I was actually invited not to go and collect them from school, otherwise social services would come in. I've learned later on that social services did come in and there were those concerns and those threats that actually if, uh, if I wasn't in the house or if, if I stayed in the house, then they would take more decisive action. But what I really wanted to sort of focus on today, Emma, was the uh, the impact that, that I, I still live with my, my ill health, uh, but I'm in a much better place mentally today. And their mum and I actually have a very good working relationship now, um, but that takes day by day. Um, but actually, when we have any interactions, when the children are around, because my, my eldest is at university, my youngest has just started college, but um, if I'm round, because I go around to the family home quite a bit, um, but if we ever are having a discussion and it gets quite, not heated, but quite sort of discussive, um, I notice immediately that my youngest actually comes in and he tells us to stop, shut up, why are you arguing? And we're not arguing, we're just having a healthy discussion. And I've realised, I've come to understand that really, is that trigger when when he hears us having a discussion or it's a an involved discussion he immediately is taken back into those times in his earlier childhood where um 
you know, he noticed that mum and dad were arguing. Mum and dad were never, we were never physical, but mentally I was horrible, absolutely horrible. And I've learned to understand and recognise that. But, but my concerns today are that even the smallest thing can actually trigger him. So when I sort of said at the beginning that I wanted to make sure that I didn't replicate what actually experienced myself in my childhood, I'm actually watching it today in my youngest particularly. Um, and that does cause me real concern. So we have to be very careful around how we as a couple, as, not as a couple anymore, but as mum and dad, how we actually interact to make sure that it doesn't trigger for them. Um, Thank you, Miles. And I just wanted to say to hear from, you know, your, your perspective, uh, particularly as a father perspective, is really, really interesting. And as for the same with Emma and Vicky, thank you for being so honest. You know, it takes a lot of strength, I, I think, certainly, to to say the things you've said and to talk about the realities of things that have happened. I think that's so, so important because so much of this stuff happens behind closed doors. Nobody knows what other families are going through. And I just want to thank you, Miles, for, for being so honest. I think that's really, really important. It sounds as though you've um, done a lot of work on yourself from, from what you've said and that things are are better you're in a better place mentally than you were but it also sounds you've used the words remorse and guilt and I think oh my goodness as human beings oh our, our mental health and our emotions and those feelings that that last with us and obviously I wasn't there and I, <laughs> I, I don't know your wife I don't know your children I, I do think the only thing I can relate to with my own poor mental health and Emma and Vicky you alluded to this as well is like that beating ourselves up that kind of you know, it's a fine line, isn't it? We have to acknowledge when our behaviours are maybe not helpful and we need to change. But at the same time, mental illness, poor mental health, however we want to say it, it's not an excuse for anything. But at the same time, the symptoms of our mental ill health can make us think, act, behave in ways that we wouldn't normally when we're, when we're well. Um, so I think it's about keeping some balance in that. Having heard all of you, and woof, you know, our 45 minute podcast is not going to cover, <laughs> as we always say, but just having heard the three of you talk um, so eloquently about your experiences, a few things have, have popped. I think one is its relationship with your respective partners and support or lack of support and, and how that affects mental health. Really interesting, Miles, as well, your slant on. Um, sort of almost repl replicating what happened to you when you were a child onto your children and your concern about how and you're kind of really consciously thinking oh well when I am with my ex-wife and we're having to have to be really mindful when I'm around my son you know what do I say and how do I say I mean that to me it sounds like you know it's growth it's compassion it, it's you making positive change so I think the whole relationship thing really keen to pick up back on that and then Vicky I'm really keen that we come back to this precipice potentially it might not be I don't know what other support suddenly comes in after the 12 month mark but I think that's really important to, to speak about so firstly I think just back to the relationships now you've heard each other's situation I'll come back to you first Emma but is there anything else you think in terms of that becoming of you know sort of the effect whether you think it was your you know you mentioned you've struggled with your mental health from childhood whether or not you think that was a factor in the relationship, but you've mentioned abusive relationship, also, and of course, we can't reduce this to a simple, you know, and we're not there, to, and I'm certainly not a trained counsellor. But just in terms of our listeners, 
you know, we as York and Instinware, we want to, you know, bust myths, challenge stereotypes and just say it as it is, which may be a stereotype, it might not. You know, if it's true for us, it's true for us. But is there anything you want to add on that relationship point of view or things you've done or things you've learned? Like, Miles, you were going um, down that road of, of things you've done that have improved, stuff, which is fantastic because, yes, we've got the context in the background. But, Emma, is there anything you think that or would have helped you that kind of, oh, I wish I'd have known then what I know now type thing is there anything you'd like to add um I think in hindsight it all had to happen the way it did Mm -hmm. because because of the breakdown and the way I was treated um I had to then go into recovery and work on myself which is what I needed my whole life um like when I was told about this recovery program I thought I could have done with this when I was in my teenage years and I had felt like I had no one and I was acting out and I was like really harming myself um but it took until my mid-20s and that's when I got the help that I needed and it wasn't the community mental health team that helped me it was the um the recovery network in York um that's where I got that's where it changed my life really um and if I had if I hadn't have struggled with my mental health I probably wouldn't have stuck around in the relationship as long as I did but then I wouldn't have my daughter um so yeah and just listening sort of I sometimes think oh if I had a partner things would be much better um I wouldn't have that worry of, like, if I was struggling with my mental health, my daughter potentially, like, social services stepping in and things like that. But then that's not the case because there's other stresses and worries that come along with having a partner as well. Um, The way me and my ex used to argue and when my daughter was a baby, like, I I've just got um started work now and I look back at when I was working when I was with him and I was a mum as well and every day I was going into work saying he's done this to me he's done that to me um and I look back now and I think oh my gosh why did I stay as long as I did but um I see my resilience now um and like yeah and like it's been said, sorry, with the um, breaking generational curses, that's sort of the reason why I stepped away from my daughter's dad was because I've seen it with my own parents and I thought, I'm not having this happen again. Um, so, yeah, there is a lot of pressure we put on ourselves to break those generational curses and not have the same thing play out again. Um, and the worry of what if my child has the mental health issues that I've struggled with it would absolutely break my heart um but I've got that awareness now and that lived experience to be able to be there for her if she does um thank you yeah thank you so much and again lots of things to pick up and just because our audience obviously can't see us so when you were saying at the very start then about how things had to play out the way they had to um Miles was really nodding along there so just to let you know about that um, I think as well that breaking those inter- intergenerational things, I think 
easier said than done. Um, back to, you know, Miles beating himself up and saying, I didn't want to continue the cycle, but I did. I, it's not deliberate. You know, I, I think it's really hard. And if that's all we've known, we only know our childhood. And because often these things aren't talked about, which is, again, we're encouraging people to be open and have conversations. We don't. Why would we know any different? You know, if I was if I was to become a parent, it's highly likely I would do things that my parents did to me because that's what you know, isn't it? So it's it's I think it. it yeah, it, it's, it's not as clear cut, but I think it's it's fantastic, Emma, that you found that way of breaking that cycle and recognizing it. I think there's a lot of recognizing things. And then what you said oh, really got to me, actually, when you said about you don't want your daughter to have the mental health that you had. I also think one of the reasons why I am not a parent and, you know, it's choice. I've chosen not to be a parent and I don't actively seek that perfect partner. And one of the many reasons, and there's lots of different reasons, but one of those reasons I've always said, I don't want a child to be like me. And so it kind of broke my heart when you said that, because actually I have thought that and I thought, Do you know what? I don't want to produce it because I don't enjoy my life. I don't enjoy being mentally unwell. I've been mentally unwell from childhood. I still am. It's a lot better than it used to be. But would I say, and this sounds very negative to bring the tone down, but, you know, have I lived this really happy, fulfilled life? I mean, I'm hopeful for the future and I feel like things are changing and I'm working on it. And a massive, massive part of that for me has been part of your Kenny Sigma and speaking <laughs> about my mental health. So I feel I'm on that upward trajectory, but I'm now 41 and I feel like, you know, I'm single, you know, I don't have a solid you know, income base and, and this, that, you know, yes, I'm working, but it's on a fixed contract and all this kind of thing and all these other complex things that come into the decision of having a child. I believe, as I speak today, and that's all I can do as we record, um, that I don't think I will have children. Um, but yeah, Emma, lots of things you said there um, really touched me. Now, Vicky, you are still with your husband. Um, so it's different to Emma and Miles with their, um, you know, relationships. So there hasn't been... A, if I get the language wrong, I, I apologise. I'm, I'm trying to articulate what I want to say. So, Vicky, there hasn't been a complete breakdown, let's say, in your relationship with your husband, but you did mention the word strain. So I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind, and only say what you want to, if you wouldn't mind saying a bit more about that. Yeah, um, I mean, I've just listened to what um, Emma um, was talking about and she's right when it when she said you know the, there is stresses and stuff with having a partner um and um I I don't um yeah it's um sorry I'm just trying to find the right word no worries take your time Vicky um like there have been times in the past 10 months where I've, I've thought that our relationship might end because we were like arguing over silly little things that we wouldn't normally argue about um but um I um I think it's because we were both and we probably still are a bit we're both in like this survival mode where you're not really living but you're just doing enough to sort of get by and you're doing enough for your child and um you're feeding yourself and doing the basic things and stuff and you're not really like enjoying life um so it's been 
we are in a much better place now because we've started um we started implementing like a, a bedtime routine for my daughter so it means we get a bit of time like together on an evening um the thing i found most difficult is being open and honest with my husband about like how i'm feeling and stuff because i don't know it probably isn't nice when like your wife turns around and says to you i'm having suicidal thoughts i can't imagine um that being very nice but i know that i've I I hid it from him for so long that I think it it just sort of eats you up inside and then that causes arguments because you know you want to talk but you don't want to upset you don't want to upset like I didn't want to upset my husband um so um like I would talk to the health professionals in the perinatal team about how I'm feeling and stuff um which 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 is a good outlet for me because I feel like I feel like I can be honest like with them about how I'm feeling um but like obviously I know that's coming to an end very soon and I need it's like I need I need to be I need someone to be open with um and I've yeah I have started being more open with my husband and that that has made a huge difference in our relationship I think because um I mean he um he struggled a bit with his mental health and he's gone through counseling and stuff since our daughter was born which when that first started made me feel really guilty because i thought well it's because of me that he's going through counseling because you know i i can't i can't like look after this child and um like i i felt like i uh, for the first probably six seven months of her life I felt like I hadn't hadn't bonded with her um she's just this strange child that someone's you know it felt like I'm looking after a child and not my child (laughs) um so a lot of a lot of her care was put on to my husband um and um yeah so that obviously has um him picking up all that responsibility and me not being able to like get out of bed or shower or whatever um has been really difficult because really he's been like a single parent for the first sort of six months um while I've been trying to work on myself and get myself into a better place which which I feel I am now. Yeah. Thank you, Vicky. And again, the the honesty. And it's really interesting hearing what you said because similar with Miles saying in his case, you know, he felt like he was making his wife the single parent whilst he was trying to manage his own poor mental health. I think as well, what's interesting is hearing you say words, Vicky, about 
you know, not thinking you're a good mum, can't cope and all this kind of thing. Although I haven't got my own children myself. I've got friends who have got children. Boy, is it interesting talking to them privately over the phone, go for a coffee, compared to this life they have on social media or at parenting class or whatever. Like, I don't know any parent who doesn't find it incredibly difficult. <laughs> and again, I think what you said, Vicky, I think it's so good that you said you found that talking outlet um, with the health professionals. And and it sounds as though because you know that that 12 month period is, is coming to the end in a couple of months, you're opening up more with your husband. And just thinking about what you said, you know, you were worried about being completely honest with your husband, particularly regarding suicidal thoughts. And, you know, you're thinking of him all the time as well and, and not necessarily putting yourself at the front of it. And actually, there's this, it's a really like a kind of old fashioned saying, but like you can't pour from an empty kettle. Like, we can't help each other. We can't support our, our partners, our children, our friends, our family, our whoever, if we're not taking care of ourselves. But I think, unfortunately, when it comes to mental ill health, certainly with my own, and certainly from conversations I have with, with you and, and other people involved in, in YES, we often don't put ourselves first. Or if we do, we feel really guilty. So I, I think it's really important what you were saying, Vicky, about that, finding someone to speak to. And I think as someone myself who also has experienced suicidal thoughts, it's about having the safe and appropriate conversations and open conversations. You know, got this positive purpose of we want to stay alive and well in your case Vicky it comes across very clearly that you you want to be a good mum you know these are all really positive things and we need to have those conversations with people who also want that for us so we can have those open and supportive conversations so I think everything you've said Vicky is important and I think what is great to hear it sounds as though I'm the kind of person I do denial denial and head in the sand if I had this 12 months deadline looming I wouldn't even be thinking I should be talking to X, Y, Z, but oh, this is coming to an end. I'd be like burying my head in the stand, sand and would go off a cliff edge, uh, metaphorically. But obviously you, Vicky, are saying, I know this is coming to an end. I'm opening up more to my husband. You know, you're finding that speaking is helpful. You've identified that. So I think that's really, really positive to hear. I just wanted to get time flies on these things. I want to come back to Miles. It feels like we've not heard from you for a while, Miles. But having heard everything you've heard from Emma and Vicky, is there anything you either want to pick up on or anything you want to add? There's so much, actually. <laughs> um, I've just been nodding with so many different things, but uh, I've got kind of three little bits that I was just jotting down here. Going back to Vicky's point just now, um, that hiding and not sharing your feelings and stuff, I tick every box. I've got a master's degree in that. <laughs> um because that was part of the problem. I felt like I couldn't, I didn't have an outlet to share because of the shame and the dishonesty. And I, I was dishonest and I would just brush it off and, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm fine. And I'm, I was the bravado and all that kind of stuff. Um, but since I sort of hit my lowest points, what I've learned, and this is coming into Emma's bit, I too am in the recovery community in York. And actually within that community, that's been my lifesaver um, because I've been able to have a space, a safe space where I can share my true feelings, my true thoughts. Um, and I've got other people who have, you know, walked along a similar path who when I talk to them, they just sit and go, yeah, 
Um, I get that. A bit like we do with ourselves here in York Ending Stigma, we can talk to each other and there's no judgment. There's no, there's just, you know, there's just a sense of, yeah, I listen and I understand what you're saying. I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to uh, tell you what to do. I'm just here as a, as a friendly pair of ears. Um, but what I was going to say is, interestingly, whereas when I was hiding all those feelings and everything, my relationship actually with with their mum today is still as strong as it was when we first met, but in a different way, if that makes sense. Because now I do share my feelings. Now I am able to be a little bit more open and inviting, and she's able to understand things that happen she's able to understand how i'm feeling today our 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 relationship is actually strong you know we've been together 30 odd years i don't sort of lose my love for another person over that period of time because of a horrible situation and the same for her but we have a different relationship but it's built on honesty it's built on strength our common bond is the boys but actually she's still I can't speak for her, but she tells me this. She says, I still care for you. I still want to make sure you're okay. And what she's seen and what my boys have seen is that because of my recovery from that ill health, they're actually seeing the dad that they wanted to see or the dad that they're hoping to see. Um, but that's a daily thing. So I've just got to continue that. What they, they, you know, they tell me they like what they see. There are moments where I cry, you know, when they say, Dad, we're proud of you. And that's a tearjerker for me. And I try and shy away and say, oh, don't, don't, you, know, you don't need to say that. But it's their acknowledgement just for how far, how far I was to where I am today. But I'm thankful of that. But the other bit that was interesting, and I think I'm probably going to agree here with Emmy and, and Vicky, but what I need to make sure is that particularly for my youngest, I don't overcompensate and make up for what's happened in the past so I could kind of let things fly with what he gets up to or I could try and say do you want an extra bit of this or do you want to do this or I won't tell you off for that and I can very quickly overcompensate to try and make up for what I've lost of his childhood but it's a very it's a very tricky path to walk along because I don't want him to think certain behaviours are acceptable I don't want him to think but then he can throw it back at me at any point and say, well, Dad, how the hell can you say that? You're a bloody hypocrite. Um, and I have to take that on the chin. But I'm able to use that. I'm able to use those experiences when it's appropriate to actually say, that's why I'm trying to chat with you today to make sure you understand what may come of going down that route. I'm not telling you not to do it, but I'm just I'm able to sort of sit and have that chat with them. And particularly my eldest, who's been at uni, he's in his third year now and he's faced some real difficulties. He's done his whole uni course during the COVID period. Oh, so gosh. that's had its own implications for him. You know, he's had first year in isolation almost. Yeah. And then the second year of having to start forming those social relationships that you're meant to have at uni. Yeah. Well, for the first year, he didn't have them. So yeah. I've been really concerned for his well-being. Yeah. And yeah. I can only give an invitation to him. And we have had some very quite deep discussions. And they've been difficult because he's on Earth stuff. And he says, that actually, Dad... It's because of this that happened with us that actually I'm feeling. So I, I still get that reminder, but it's done with love and with 
kindness and with compassion because he sees that's how I try to I try to treat others now. So it's learning from those past misdemeanors, those past behaviors. But I will say, and I'll be very frank, I'm only I'm only an hour away from going back because my head will still sit with me and my head will still play with me if it, if it gets the opportunity. And I can turn to being resentful, judgmental. And, and don't get me wrong, I still am at moments, but I've got the capacity to sit and think, why am I thinking like that? Because that's my old behaviour coming back in. So yeah. there was loads there was loads of stuff in there, but um, I think someone said it earlier, I can't remember who it was, but you know, anybody who thinks they've got a hard job, hardest job is being the parent. Because, you know, your your you know, what you do does influence them. And as long as you do it to the best of your ability, with the best will and the best love and intentions, more often than not, we get through it. But it's like journey. It's like life, isn't it? Life's a journey, but you know it has its ups and downs. But I think you know the people on this podcast here were a credit that we've been able to recognise certain things and we're prepared to do something about it to actually maintain, you know, the level of where we are at today and continue to do that. So. Thank you, Miles. And again, there's lots to pick up on on there. Just the thing about, like you say, giving credit and yeah, being a. I'm not a parent, but I can only begin to imagine how to. I've got snippets of it because I, I spend time with you know I've got a goddaughter, spend time with her and her sister and stuff. I mean, blimey, it's full on. Do you know what I mean? They're kind of seven and nine, and yeah, I don't know how people do it. <laughs> I really don't, you know. So I do think when you say Miles, it's a difficult job, or to you, the most difficult job. I can totally believe that really important that was nodding around the room when you said about overcompensating I think and that's something not as a parent but with my mental ill health I've said in the past but I feel better I've like my mental health you know I, I continue to work on it daily and it continues to improve a bit like miles you're talking about your relationship with your children you know you actively work on it but I have said in the past you know I spend all my time being mentally unwell apologizing for my behaviors when I'm mentally unwell and the odd one good day of the year type thing so I really related with that kind of you didn't, you know, you're not apologising for your behaviours, but with that overcompensate, and, you know, yeah, we are role models. And we all have children in our lives. And very, you know, we, you, you can, I believe that you can completely avoid children if you want to and whatever, if you work from home, you live on your own or whatever. But most of us, we are influencing young people. When we're out and about, let's, we're in the supermarket, you know, we've all got to eat. Yes, I know you can do online orders and whatever, but do young people around us see our behaviour as adults? And look up to it. So I think the, there's the potential for influence everywhere. I would tend to agree with you, Miles, that the most influential relationship is the parent or the foster parent, the care, you know, the primary carer um, for that for that child. But time has flown, <laughs> and it really has flown. There's so much we could talk about. There's so much more we could talk about. I have learned so much from what you said. You are unbelievably honest which I think is amazing we've literally only got a couple of minutes left but I don't want anybody to feel like you haven't had a chance to to say what you wanted to say and for me it's been quite an emotional podcast I feel with this one you know it's as always it's real lives real human beings and um, so again just thank you so much for your honesty so what I'll do is just go each in turn um Emma and Vicky and then Miles if there's any, you know, quick last minute thing that you really haven't, and equally if there isn't, there's no need to come up with something. If you go, no, I'm done, then fine. <laughs> Emma, anything you want to add? Um, just what's being said, really, parenting is really, really hard. 
Um, and I think everyone with with or without like mental health struggles will say it's difficult. Um, yeah, so um, I think we should give ourselves a pat on the back that we are trying, we're really trying to break sort of them generational curses and um, do change things for like my daughter um but then if she does struggle um in the future having that lived experience and that empathy and being able to be there for her will hopefully make a difference um yeah like thank you vicky anything you'd like to add or not had a chance to say um because i think you were gonna ask me about how i felt about you know, um, my time with the perinatal service, oh, of course, yes, this <laughs> mental health team coming to an end. Yep. Yeah. Um. So. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I mean, I have made so much progress. Um, in the last ten months. Um, like because the, um, like um yeah the the perinatal team tend to sort of like it's really intense um sort of therapy there's like no waiting lists and things so it it happened it it happened quite quickly um in terms of getting me some support and stuff and I know I feel like really grateful for that I really appreciate that because I know there probably is some women um out there that that have to wait um um for various reasons but um obviously with it being perinatal which means um like um when my postnatal period comes to an end when my daughter is one year old um it means then that I just get discharged from that service whether whether I'm in a good place or not um so um but I mean, I am in a better place. I wouldn't say like I'm totally cured. Yeah. Um, I think um, it is going to be hard for me emotionally to say goodbye to them, and um, because I've had so many people involved in supporting me, um, that it's just. It, it's sort of going to stop (laughs) Um, and um yeah so that it's going to be quite hard um and I know some some services in in the UK do actually support women until their their child are two years old um because there's a lot of transitions around the first year um for example like going back women going back to work and how you manage that and things and um I just feel like there is a bit of pressure on me to get as much as I can from them before it ends and it has been quite upsetting already um like sort of knowing that's going to come to an end but yeah um but yeah um uh, and I just sort of Go on, no, carry sorry. on. Sorry, I thought you'd come to an end, but you carry on. Oh no, it's fine. It's Only fine. Sure, because I don't want to miss this a vital bit. Yeah, yeah. All I was going to say, Vicky, is 
I mean, blind me, I think totally understandable, you know, to, to be, you know, a little bit concerned about support stopping. I do think as well, and we've had podcasts before on mental health services and, oh, we, and we certainly haven't got time to go into that, but these kind of arbitrary dates and cutoffs and thresholds and it doesn't make sense, you know, to my personal opinion, I think, you know, mental health services, it needs to be more about what support do people need, not how, you know, how many months old is your child? I just think, ah, it's so important, especially in your case, the service is working so well um, for it to be sort of, I know it's not random and you've been told from the start, you know, it's going to happen at 12 months, but it, to me, it doesn't make sense. Uh, it really doesn't. Uh, I, I feel for you there, Vicky, but it does sound as though you are preparing yourself and getting yourself in, into that headspace for it. But yeah, I think it's really, really unfortunate um, that the systems is, but it's the system, it's not you. You know, you're not choosing to leave the service. It, it's there, cut off and... Yeah, I could get quite angry about that. But <laughs> Emma, I think you were perhaps going to say something a bit more rational. I think you um, wanted to come in on that. Yeah, um, I was going to say something similar. So I um, the I had a service called AspireGen. Um, it's an access to inclusion program, and they had lone parent support workers. Um, and my lone parent support worker was absolutely amazing. Um, she just listened to me discuss anything with me look at finances um and because the whole idea was they were getting me back into work as soon as I started working they couldn't support me anymore and it was the same sort of feeling as it's almost like a bit of an abandonment thing like you've got to have that professional they're here for a service sort of thing but I think you do get sort of they're there and they're your support and then it stops and it's like oh what do I do? Because we're now? human, aren't we? You know, we are human. Yeah. But yes, a very similar ish thing. Yeah. If you're in work, out of work, you do qualify, you don't. As soon as you then get a job, you lose that support. Or if you're in work, you can only get that support. If you're actually off sick, you can't. And I think, oh, the way the, the systems are designed and driven is sometimes you do wonder, don't you, with has it actually got the, the human being at heart here? But again, that would be a whole new podcast. We're really, really um, getting on the brink of, um, you know, running out of time. So, Miles. Um, any final words or oh and then just ever quickly to say Vicky again a whole new podcast could have been on the return to work people coming back from maternity leave oh my good grief I don't know how people cope with that either um yeah (laughs) so I just wanted to pick up on that um oh my goodness there's so much to talk about we're running out of time Miles over to you for the the sort of final word as it were yeah I think I don't think I can really add to anything that's added but other than very early on in the podcast we talked about we're no good to anyone else unless we start to look after ourselves first and foremost so if you recognize that there's something not quite right reach out to somebody um, whoever that is professional a friend a stranger whoever someone sat on the bus um, and just check in because um, we can be brilliant people but unless we recognize that we need a little bit of help um, we need to ask for it because I spent so many years trying to do it on my own and finding out I was getting it wrong all the time. So it's a case of reach out, ask. There's so much help out there, especially around York, um, but it's only there. People aren't mind readers. They can't read for you unless you share with them. So, um, And that's part of the reason why you know, I, I try and do these pieces of work with York Ending Stigma, because it's important that it, it's shared and there's no... 
there's no sort of shame or guilt around actually expressing just how things are. Today's a decent day. Tomorrow might not be such a cracking day, but I'll worry about that tomorrow and I'll deal with it tomorrow and I'll reach out if I need to. Oh, that's perfect, perfect summing up there, Miles. Thank you. Vicky, did you want it? There's so much we could say. You, you look as though you're itching to say something. So final, like yeah. how many times I'm going to say final, 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 final word? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I just wanted to quickly add um, that like a lot of people, including my mum, says um like you've got to put your baby first when you have a baby you've got to put your baby first you've got to attend to their needs you've got to make sure they're all right first and then you sort of thing but that I find is completely wrong and I completely agree with what Miles and Emma have said about um I've learned to sort of try and I am still trying and um, I mean sometimes it doesn't work out but I do try to put myself first because yeah you can't you can't pour from an empty cup and you're no good well I'm certainly no good to my child if I'm like um, really like um, hungry say and I've had nothing to eat and things because it's just like it's um it's really hard to look after someone else when you haven't looked after yourself first. Yeah. And Vicky, I am I know our listeners can't see this, but I'm smiling at you, not because of like that, that important point you just made, because you have just made me realise that the phrase is you can't help anyone else, you know, like pour from an empty cup. I might have said kettle, I don't know what I said earlier, but you have just hit the right phrase. <laughs> so on that note, I think, you know, fatigue is kicking in. Um I, I just want to say thank you so much. That's for me has been a really, really interesting and engaging conversation. I've learned a lot. I hope our listeners have learned a lot. So I just want to say thank you so much to you, Emma, Vicky and Miles for being so honest as always. Um, yeah, really, really appreciate that. And finally, to our, our listeners, um, thank you very much for listening. Thank you.